0: This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to Innovation in Compliance. In this podcast series, I will bring you interviews with some of the leading experts who are changing the way practitioners approach compliance. Although the name compliance is in the title, it's really about innovation. And I wanted to drive the conversation about innovation in compliance into the twenty. 30s and beyond with a focus on innovations for the compliance practitioner and the compliance professional. You want to learn how to bring your business into an innovative state and more innovative business solutions for compliance problems, issues, and concerns. This is the podcast for you. Innovation and Compliance is a production of Compliance podcast network. Today, I have Dr. Laura Purdy, who is a true evangelist for telehealth and telemedicine. Learning these innovative skills during her time serving the U.S. Army, she is bringing these strategies, techniques, and frankly, businesses to the mainstream American health services. I know you'll enjoy this episode you're in for a real treat today because I'm in for a real treat. I have Dr. Laura Purdy. Dr. Purdy, first of all, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me.
1: Hi, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. I'm in for a treat today as well, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> Could you tell us about a little bit about your unique professional background?
1: My goodness, I think unique is a great word to use. So I'm a family medicine physician by training. But I did spend the first 15 years of my career, 14 technically, serving in the United States Army. So I was a physician in the military. And as I was getting out, I started doing a little moonlighting and working in the telemedicine, the virtual healthcare industry, which this was before the pandemic, mind you. And I have worked in the virtual care industry in all kinds of capacities. I got out of the Army two years ago and have really focused on growing and developing the opportunities and offerings that people have in our modern healthcare system, especially as it pertains to virtual care.
0: One of the things that has interested me about history is, particularly in medicine, large, big advances in medicine during times of war. And here, over the past 20 years or so, we saw telemedicine and you were really at the forefront of that telemedicine in the army. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience from your
1: perspective? Wow. I think every physician or nurse practitioner or PA, anybody who works in healthcare, in the military, or at least in the army, because that's the one I can relate to, you have to do telemedicine by virtue of your position. Because if you think about resources, the resource of healthcare prescriber so doctor nurse practitioner or pa there are far fewer of those individuals than there are of medics that provide a lot of the frontline care or even just soldiers in general that's a lot of people for just a few folks to try to take care of and it's impossible for the clinician like a like the doctor to be located in the same place as the patient they're often deployed so if you're gonna deliver care to those people and they are remote, then you have to do telemedicine in order to care for them.
0: Many people think of the U.S. military and specifically even the Army as tradition, honor-bound, hide-bound, but most importantly, not really open to innovation. I think that's completely not true around telemedicine, but I wanted to get your opinion on how did the Army embrace or not telemedicine?
1: I think it's. I think that's untrue across the board too, because as we think about the last few decades of war, I was in the military in the early 2000s and everything changed. The way we dress, the way we shoot, what weapons we use, everything changed to meet the need of the mission at the time, which that was the early years of the Iraq and Afghanistan war. And in healthcare, it's the same way. And in military medicine, it's the same way. And I find, or at least I could say I found at the time when I was there, that I think they were very open to innovation because you have to accomplish the mission. You have to take care of your soldiers, which are one of your biggest warfighting assets. And so figuring out how to get creative using technology, medications, and what you have available with budget and supply constraints, I think it's a great breeding ground for innovation. And I don't think that the army as a whole, I don't think was ever in opposition to providing that care remotely, but did uphold a high standard to make sure that it was done safely.
0: In the medical corps of the Army, do you have the high standards that you do across a regular Army, or is it siloed to really just doctors?
1: Ooh, so the way that it works is the medical corps actually is who provides they're almost like the vendor of the medical care for all of the services. So even if you're a doctor who's serving in the 101st Airborne, or the 82nd Airborne, you still belong to the Medical Corps in your as your primary branch that you're affiliated with, unless it's changed in the last two years, which I don't think it has. So that standard that you saw in the Army Medical Corps was the same standard that was pushed out across the force, because those were the representatives and the individuals, the PAs, the doctors, the nurse practitioners, although they may fall under Army Nurse Corps, maybe. Suffice it to say, they're pushed out throughout the armed forces and in the army, that's who's out there. So that standard exists everywhere. There's one standard.
0: I live in a rural part of West Texas, and although I'm lucky enough to have excellent health care in my nearby hometown, many parts of West Texas particularly struggle with that. So I was one of the reasons I was so excited about visiting with you, in addition to your work in telemedicine, is your passion around equal access to health care. And I really wanted to start up by asking, can telemedicine help provide a component for that?
1: It does. Absolutely. 100%. Even before the pandemic, like I mentioned before, I have been licensed in all 50 states and I've had patients all across the country. And what virtual health does is it brings the care to the patient, just like with the military analogy that we use. If the patient is located somewhere that's in a different place than where the doctor is, then you have technology to serve as that bridge to allow you to bring the care to the patient rather than trying to force the patient to go to the care which is not always something that's feasible or something that they can afford a doctor maybe hours away with a 6 month wait time and what good is that to anybody so through virtual care it gives patients more access to doctors and it also Gives doctors more access to patients that's outside of their local geographic area that they can help.
0: Why are you so passionate about this issue?
1: <laughs> I'm passionate about this issue because our healthcare system is entirely broken. And a lot of people sit around and complain about our healthcare system. We complain about costs, we complain about wait times, we complain about the lack of empathy and the fact that. It's a lot of doctors driving our care rather than us being able to advocate for ourselves, but I don't see a lot of people who are doing anything about it in a meaningful way. After working in the virtual care industry, I realized that the solution is here already. The answers to a lot of these problems that we have in our healthcare system already exist, but we need people with the right heart and the right mindset and the right drive and the right technology to just put it in place and change the system rather than sitting around and complaining about it.
0: What's the role of someone myself or a listener who might be a patient only? How can we be a part of this change?
1: What you can do is you can try it. If you've never used virtual care or telemedicine, especially cash pay services, because the sad reality is if you want to use your insurance for telemedicine, the insurance companies It's prohibitive. They put up every barrier that they possibly can to force you back into the hospital and force you back into the clinic. Or they are not interested in some of the more progressive, innovative, technologically savvy ways of delivering telemedicine. So a lot of the work that I do completely circumvents insurance and just goes straight to cash pay, because that's where we have the ability to really provide the care where it's needed, when it's needed and how it's needed to whom it's needed. So for you as a patient, I would encourage you to try it. And if you try it and you have a bad experience, try again. It's very capitalistic. And so you get a choice in your quality of care. It's not like insurance where you're stuck with your one doctor and if they're the worst doctor you've ever had, you have to keep seeing them forever, miserably. You get to pick and choose and you get to be in charge of that care. I would recommend that you tell your friends and family about it. You can follow me on Instagram because we're starting a movement and we're drawing in all of the people who believe in change in our institutional healthcare system and be a part of it with us. What do
0: you understand is the reluctance of the insurance industry to embrace it? They were as cost-conscious as any industry I know, and it seems to me that you potentially could deliver a more effective cost-conscious service through telemedicine.
1: The problem is a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding. I have talked to representatives you usually in the investigation department because they have a lot of questions about people who try to do things innovatively and differently. And I welcome all of those questions. I answer them all. But it comes from a true lack of understanding. The people who make the laws are people who have never practiced telemedicine before and they don't understand it. The people who write the coverage benefits, which means like what, what can you get paid for and what does the doctor get paid, They don't understand. They are so entrenched in the archaic former system with which we have all been brought up in that they are genuinely, if I may say clueless, and it's not their fault. It's not their fault that they have no idea what's going on, but that's because they work for the institution and can't see outside of that tunnel vision.
0: In my research to prepare for this podcast, it was clear to me, you are a true evangelist for this, but I also saw what I heard you just say, which is you're an educator and that you try to educate a variety of parties, including insurance companies. Would that be a fair assessment?
1: I educate anyone who will listen. I try to educate board members. I try to educate lawmakers. I did some lobbying a couple of years ago. Because I think it's not fair. I, don't, I think that the people who are responsible for making the laws and making the insurance and all of that, it's not fair to them to not have the right information that they need to make the laws they're required to make. And frankly, if I'm being honest, myself and my colleagues, we face a lot of adversity. We have a lot at risk and we have a lot to lose. And we're often accused of doing the wrong thing because the people who have the power to make those accusations genuinely do not understand they don't get they don't get it how it works and so i feel like i have a responsibility to educate because if we cannot start with education nothing is ever going to change because the people who have the power to allow change won't understand wow who hi, who how when where why you know that that's why we educate
0: so what are some of the key areas you would advise a telehealth company on if they wanted to try and scale up
1: that's really interesting. So the first question is, do you want to take insurance or do you want to be cash pay? Because those are two completely different scalability models. And I guess in my bio, I should have led with these days, I do a lot more business than I do practice of medicine. So I have probably been involved in some way, shape or form in more telemedicine businesses than anybody else in the industry. I, I would place a bet on that. And But the question is, do you want to be cash pay or do you want to take insurance? If you want to be cash pay, This is it's actually very easy to scale, but you need to have an infrastructure, the legal infrastructure, the financial infrastructure, even the technology systems that you use can be an asset or a liability when it comes to scaling. So allowing these companies to set it up right from the beginning and then they can build and scale and grow on that is the best thing to do. I think where the overwhelming majority of companies fail is they try to duct tape together rudimentary solutions because they all want to launch they want to go live right away and start making their money right now but what they don't realize is that 18 months in when you've made enough money and you have to change everything they will take such a big hit and the patients will go elsewhere and it will hurt their business if they don't make the investment up front to build a scalable system
0: what are some of the key regulatory issues in this space
1: there are a few things Number 1 is physician licensing. So, virtual doctors, virtual NPs, virtual PAs, virtual anything, nurses, physical therapists, we the licensing is done on a state by state basis, which means there's 51 different sets of laws that they will absolutely hold you individually responsible for knowing, doctor. And it's an impossible situation that's cuz that was said to me at one point, "Doctor, you should know these things." And even though there's licensure reciprocity, so 41 different states will give you a license if you have one in another state, but they hold you to different legal standards. And what's against the regulation in one state is not against the regulation in another state. And people rewrite their laws all the time. And we're responsible for knowing that and, Trying to take care of patients the second thing actually as it pertains to at the federal level controlled substances we still haven't figured this out yet things like adderall things like testosterone and of course pain medication but we prescribe that much less frequently but still we have some mess left over from the pandemic there was a waiver in place so you could do controlled substances everywhere and now they're talking about doing in-person visits before video visit and there's probably. Hundreds of thousands of people across the country who've been getting their controlled substances since the pandemic, who in the next year and a half will lose, potentially lose access to that. What are they going to do? And then the third, I think, has to do with the way that the insurance companies think about defining the doctor patient relationship and reimbursing. There is so far to go. I mean, there's just there's a long way to go there.
0: Let me change the focus just a little bit and ask you to reflect on your military career and what do you think that gave you which allowed you to move into this evangelist role or even just the role of a great primary care physician.
1: Wow. Loaded question, but I think that coming up in the military system, it's a very pure it's a very pure educational system and when I say pure what I mean is We, as doctors growing up in that system and working in that system, we are not taught to practice medicine according to the insurance company. We're not. We're taught to practice good medicine according to the standard of care, regardless of what Blue Cross Blue Shield or Anthem or all that. We're also not RVU based. Everybody gets a set salary based on their rank and time and grade. And so you're encouraged to have a high standard of care and you don't get paid more for doing more. Third, I think that the military is certainly a resource constrained system. You never have enough time, you never have enough money, you never have enough people, you never have enough supplies but yet as officers, because I was an officer, you're put in this new role and expected to make a difference in two to three years. So I've become a person of decisive action. I've become a person of learning how to lead by influence rather than lead by power, because I had a lot of civilians in my last role. I had 35 civilians that I was in charge of leading. So leading by influence rather than leading by power, but also conceptualizing a business in a form like an organization, where do people work? Where do they go? Who reports to who? All of those things are skills that I learned in the military that I, lo- I use every single day.
0: And now let me ask you to turn to the future, that veiled land of mid century, 2030 and beyond. Where do you see the future of telemedicine?
1: I'm so excited. I, I no longer say the future of telemedicine, and I say the future of healthcare in America. Actually, the slogan for my company, which we call America's Favorite Doctor, we say together we reimagine the future of healthcare. And I think that the health system of the future, which is the thing I'm trying to build, and by trying, I mean I'm actively building. There is no try, there is only do. The future of healthcare in America will be much like the way we think about the banking industry right now. There is There will not be a set delineation between this is what you do online and this is what you do in person. I think there will be one Centralized healthcare system that will assist the patient in being routed to whatever way is the best delivery of care for them. It might be virtual, it might be in person, but the patient, all the burden of making that decision will not be on the patient. It will be the system and the process is set up in a way to help the patient know where they need to go, what they need to do, and will help bring the care to them rather than force them to seek it out themselves.
0: I have to acknowledge your shout out to Star Wars and Yoda. Well done.
1: I'm a nerd. Uh, what can I say?
0: <laughs> favorite movie. You got me. <laughs> favorite Star Wars movie. You got me. <laughs> now, What's your favorite Star Wars movie?
1: Okay, I'll be honest with you. I'm not as much of a fan of Star Wars as I am a fan of Disney. I think I only watched all of the movies all the way through for the first time, maybe within the last two years. So I'm more of an ally than a fan. And I don't know that I could tell you, but I'll tell you which one was my least favorite which was the one where everybody died. I forget what movie that was, but I was the only person in the theater who didn't know everybody was going to die. Was that Rogue One or something? And it broke my heart and I wasn't prepared for that, but that's my least favorite movie.
0: With that, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. If our listeners wanted more information on yourself or any of the topics we've touched on, what would be the best place or places for them to go?
1: I think there's two, two big places. The first one's Instagram at America's favorite doctor. And it's all spelled just like it sounds. I would encourage you to take a look at what we're doing because everything that we do is going to be available for the public all of the care, all of the systems, all of the educational content, all of the updates. This is all for everyone. This AFD health system is for everyone for forever, hopefully. Also, we have a website. It's still developing, but it's drlauraperdy.com. Soon it will be afd.health. So write that down and follow us because I expect to see that within the next couple months. And, but come ask questions, right? Questions are free. We don't, The point is to support, not to harm and not to misinform. So we're excited for all of this.
0: Dr. Pretty. I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to visit with me. And I look forward to continuing this conversation.
1: Thank you so much. Have a great day.
0: This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Innovation and Compliance. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review wherever great podcasts are listened to. If you are innovative or you have an innovative idea around compliance, give me a shout at tfox at tfoxlaw.com or you can reach me on LinkedIn. I'd love to talk to you about being a guest on the Innovation and Compliance Podcast. The Innovation and Compliance Podcast is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.